Midnight approach.
Praise the name of the Lord. Everybody got it? I want to read exactly one verse in Revelations. That's the last recorded word of God that we have. I feel like the words, though simple as they are, issue to us tonight a challenge, probably of urgency that we fail to realize in our day. I'm sure if you listen to the radio, whether it be churches or uh, talk shows or uh, gospel services or whatever, everything is looking at the economy, the situation of the world, and Bible prophets and Bible scholars are beginning to get their notebooks and their blackboards out and they're beginning to do some very urgent talking concerning the coming of the Lord. And surely when this type of interest can be uh, put upon the heart and life of the Christians as well as the non-Christians for them to realize that something drastically is wrong in the world and you see so many things happening that is, according to the Scripture, while well, you begin to know that the coming of the Lord is near. And it is not hard for me to see the things that's happening in the world and to say, man, so be it. Because I, when I look at, look at Iran and knew for a long time that we simply could not keep our hand over it and keep control over it because it was drastically against the Scripture when the Bible speaks concerning it, and also some of the other nations that are right around in that area has to be under the control of Russia, and they're headed that way. It's not hard for me to submit to this. Not hard for me to see we as a kingdom uh, seemingly with our power uh, gone because the Bible says that uh, the pride of our power would be broken. It doesn't say the power power would be broken, but the pride of it. And certainly this is happening every place you go. Nobody has any confidence in us. Nobody thinks we mean what we say. And as far as pride is concerned, we don't have any. We is the largest, most industrious, richest, powerfulest nation in the world. Sometimes ought to hang our head in shame the way we let them spit on us and walk on us. But again, that's according to Scripture. And it's not hard for me to accept that. I know that that is the case. not hard for me to see the, the move of the uh, United States of Europe that lacks of right now just one country and they are having a voice. Not hard for me to see the uh, uh, popes coming and going until the right one would come and the universal church would be restored and come riding the beast. Not hard for me to see and understand all of these things and earthquakes in divers places and men's hearts failing them for fear of things that's coming upon the world. And on and on we could go of things we see now that's happening every day not hard for me to say, man, so be it, Lord. But it's another story. When I begin to see some of the things that's going to happen in the midst of Christianity, in the midst of God's people, and see the sorrow that's going to prevail, and see, just as plain as I can see in the Bible, that many that's run the race for a while is going to fall by the wayside and not make it. And many are going to live a life so loosely that when the coming of the Lord is just almost right upon them and these signs all get there just all at once. I want to read that scripture right now while I'm on it. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly, amen, even so come Lord Jesus. 
The one word I want to get to you tonight is surely I come quickly. Now, that's been 2,000 years since those words have been written, and Jesus hasn't come yet. So consequently, we've got to become aware that that didn't mean he was going to come tomorrow. It simply meant something that should have a meaning to us today. That whenever the signs of time begin to dictate and all these things come into focus, that immediately all of them would just be there right at once, right before the very eyes and sometimes even before the very elect could really realize it's there. And then all at once what was supposed to happen will have happened. And Jesus, with the signs in heaven, shall appear in the midst of it all. And the sad part of it, and I find it in the Bible, and I, I, I am destined to speak concerning that because it's on my heart and God won't let me get away from it. I am concerned more than anything else about those whose lives has been lived foolishly and carelessly. I'm concerned about all of our lives seem to not be able to formulate into what God desires out of us. And it's easy for us to look and say, well... I know the signs of time and Jesus is coming soon. I can look outside and see them, but I wonder if we're fully aware of the great difference that it's going to make in the church of the living God. I wonder if we're fully aware of the great division that is going to take place. I wonder if we're fully aware that there's going to be a shaking. The Bible says, I'll shake that all that's shakable so that that which is unshakable alone would remain. You ever wondered why you're just like you're in some type of a rotating thing that over and over and over, or you're in some type of something that's just giving it that all the time? Well, what you are, and you're the great sieve of God. That's where I am, and that's where you are, and he's shaking, and he's shaking, and he's shaking, and he's going to shake everything that's shakable until only that which is unshakable shall remain. I think tonight, saints of God, it would be good as we look at these scriptures that I'm going to call to your attention, some of them old, most of them, but I think it would be good if we would measure our own life. See where we're at with God, what we're doing with God, where we're going with God, or where we're going to let God go with us. The Bible says, Behold, I come quickly. In other words, it's going to be, in a sense, without warning. Just only the elect, perhaps, is going to know for sure. Maybe they'll be able to pinpoint the day and the hour, I'm not sure. But it's going to happen so fast that the majority of the church world is going to stand in sun silence, wondering where they were at when these things took place. And when the presence of God called down from heaven, the power and unction of the Holy Ghost, picked up ignorant men or women that knew nothing, anointed them with the power of the Holy Ghost and said, tell my people, preach to my people. And yet we said oblivious to what God was trying to do. I made myself, he says, manifest in the midst of my people. Gave them reason to know that I would deliver them from everything that they had need of and deliver them unto things that they could want and desire. And mankind still said oblivious to the fact that, as I said Sunday morning, that this was their visitation. That's the reason Jesus cried over Jerusalem, because he said, you didn't know the time of your visitation. It came and it went, and I spoke to you 
I did signs and miracles and let you know beyond a shadow of a doubt who I was, what I was, what I came here for, and you still didn't recognize who I was. You didn't know you'd been visited by the greatest thing of individual that anybody could ever be visited with. Sometimes I have to stand and look at all in amazement as we as a little church sat down in the foothills of Rosie Claire nestled among the Ohio River where most of people never heard about and when I begin to recollect all the glorious visitation of Almighty God within our midst, sometimes I wonder, did we really ever know a time of our visitation? Did we really ever fully realize why He was here? What He was trying to do? What He was trying to say? What He was trying to accomplish? Why He was trying to call us out? What a job we had to do? Did we ever fully realize when they come that this was the time of our visitation? Now the Jews are still looking for that visitation that came and passed them by 2,000 years ago. And there's ever a possibility that many of us might be sitting in a dead, dry church void in the spirit of Almighty God waiting for a visitation that's already come and went. Amen. Something stirs within my soul. Something quickens in my heart. Something makes me cry out, Spare thy people, O God, and give not thine heritage to the reproach of the heathen. That they may shake their heads and laugh and look and point their finger and said, Yea, they trusted their God, but where is their God? God help us never to do that. I want to call your attention especially 21st verse of St. Luke. Now, before we get to that verse, there's a lot of things that can be said. Now, with a parable, it has one specific meaning, one primary meaning. But with a parable, you can draw many things there that would be educational to us, and you, make, you can make application in different directions. God gives us that right. And a lot of times, a lot of, a lot of us don't even know, and I'd have to admit that I don't know fully the main interpretation of what it's all about. But I knew, though, that God is trying to get us to see something in this parable. This parable is about a man that made a great supper and made many. Now if you hear when I preached on the great benefactor, then you're fully aware that this individual that made a great supper was a benefactor of every one of them that he called. You see, it's a Jewish custom that a man had a right after he was benefactor, in fact, to business, everyone that he called, this man was directly responsible for their success. Everything these individuals ever had, this man was responsible for them having it. And it was Jewish custom that when the benefactor so got ready, that he could call a great feast and ask these individuals to come and honor him because he was their benefactor. And this is the stage and setting of this story that we're talking about. This man made a great supper and made many. I realize that we can make application to that as being Jesus. There's not a one of us here, but what he's not our benefactor. Everything we have, ever will have, ever have had, is because of Jesus Christ, our God, Jesus of Nazareth. Hallelujah. Everything we have now is because of Jesus. Everything we have in the future is going to be because of Jesus. Our life as it is is because of Jesus. The blood of Jesus cleansed us and brought us out so we don't have to say I'm a sinner saved by grace. We can say I'm a child of the King bound for the eternal home of heaven. 
That's because of our benefactor, Jesus. And in this story, this individual has made a great supper and a great meal. And according to their custom, they send out two invitations. Number one invitation, they say, I'm going to bid a great supper. Is it possible for you to be there? And if it is, you tell me, and we'll set a date for it. And according to this uh, uh, reading of this, evidently they all accepted the first invitation. Also, according to the uh, Jewish custom to turn down, the last invitation is the greatest insult that one man can give to another. So we find the setting here. And this man, and let's say it is Jesus, came and bade all of us to come and said, one of these days, I'm going to have the greatest supper man has ever been privileged to attend. I'm not going to sit on that table, natural food. I'm not going to sit on their man-made things. And what's going to be on that table is going to be heavenly manna from heaven where if you eat, you'll live forever. Hallelujah! That invitation, I am sure, must be the primary meaning of that. However, there's been many, many times that God has stretched forth His hand, prepared a table, set it here in front of us as a congregation, as an individual, and said, I'm your benefactor, and I would like for you to come. I've made a meal for you, and all I ask you to do is bring yourself and your appetite and eat of that meal. That's all I ask you to do. You see here, this benefactor didn't ask him to furnish things. He was going to furnish the house. He was going to furnish the table. And he was going to furnish the food. And all he asked out of those individuals was, won't you come and eat what I have prepared for you? And in doing this, it'll honor me. You see, he wasn't concerned about them getting up and saying great words about him. Amen. That might be good for a local congregation. Jesus is not too concerned about us coming and saying great words about Him, although He appreciates it. And He's just interested in us just being here. Just coming with an invitation and saying, Jesus, You spread the table. I know that it's there. And for that reason, I am here. I honor You just with my presence right here. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. But he said, now come. This is the second invitation. All things are now ready. I think perhaps it's looking forward to the grand finale. There's going to be a supper one of these days, a feast made. It's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. <laughs> Hallelujah. And of all the feasts that I've had with Jesus, I don't want to mess around and miss the marriage feast of the Lamb. I feel like there's something there that I've never tasted of before. There's something that I never drank before. There's something there, brother, that I never felt before. And I don't want to lose out on that. But not recognizing the time, I think, they begin to make excuses. Now, we do that every day. But let's skip that. Because I already feel somebody drawn up in their shell. And I'd rather you wouldn't do that. I'd rather you just leave them out in the open. If your toes are in the way, just let me walk on them. When mine gets in the way, I have been known to step on my own toes. Praise the Lord. I have been known to fall over my own feet. 
And I most probably will time and time again. So that, let's just don't hold back. Get back out of your shell. Stay right here. Because we're going to deal, not necessarily upon today. And I will say this, and somebody brought it to my attention. If we can't run with the footmen, how in heaven's name are we going to run with the horses? If we can't come in peace of what God has now, how in heaven's name we expect to go and feast with what He has in store for us in the last day, the last feast, where the glorious power of God far excels anything that this world has ever offered us. But anyway, I think time was essence here. I think they forgot, like we're prone to forget today, that time is a factor in God's program. I don't understand God's time. Sometimes it seems like it moves slowly. Sometimes it seems like we get opportunity after opportunity to reconcile ourselves to Him. And sometimes it seems like He just cuts the line short. And we just have the one time or two times. But time was the essence here, and they didn't fully realize it. Now, this is a lesson to us. God's speaking to us. Of course, a marriage supper hasn't happened yet. This is just something He's trying to tell us. And if we are not careful, we'll get so wrapped up with the concerns of this world that we won't be able to look out and realize that Jesus is just on the verge of coming, and we'll make an excuse for not being there in the great eternal day of the Lord Jesus Christ, and He'll pass us by. You know what sets the stage for this? And this is going to be crude but true. What sets the stage for missing the great, great supper, the grand finale, is missing uh, little meals every now and then. Amen, Brother Hostclaw. And they, with one consent, begin to make excuse. In other words, they wasn't saying, I don't want to come. They didn't say that. And as I've said before, every excuse they made was a biblical excuse. Because one said, uh, I bought a piece of ground and I must needs go see it. The Bible says it's a parcel of ground. The only time they brought a parcel of ground was when they was going to build a house on it. And Proverbs tells us that when we do that, we ought to go and take care of the landscaping and the taxes and the deeds and set the thing in order. Proverbs tells us that. That's the Bible. So this man, in a sense, was doing what he thought the Bible said. He thought he had a biblical excuse. But what he didn't realize was this, that when the kingdom of God comes, he didn't need his parcel of ground. He would have the kingdom of eternal God. And he couldn't recognize that. He couldn't lay down his little bitty toils of this life and what he had in his hands for the great eternal kingdom of a living God. And there's going to be thousands of individuals that's going to miss the great marriage, the supper of the Lamb, and the kingdom of God because we simply cannot shut down our own little system for something that's greater than that. Hallelujah. Another one said, Why, I bought five yoke of oxen have to go prove them. Somebody says it's foolish to buy something and go prove it. Well, we miss the whole thing in here. This word simply means approve. A man's chief deputy, so to speak, or his chief servant, was allowed to go out and make a purchase. But the purchase wasn't completely sealed until the owner went and looked and said, I'll sign my name on it. And by that, we have bought the oxen. 
So what he's actually trying to say is I've got to go look at him. My servant, in a sense, has made a deal and I've got to put my signature on it to finalize the deal. Now, the Bible tells us not to be slothful in business and this looked like a real good business venture. And what he couldn't realize and what you and I can't realize today is the greatest business a man can have. A Rockefeller estate, a J.C. Penney business, a Sears and Roebuck, or whatever you might have, is nothing aside the great kingdom of the living God and what He has prepared for us. Nothing compared to that. Of no value whatsoever. But these individuals has turned down this chance because the beggarly elements of the world. Why? Because they did not realize that this would be their last chance to come to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Had they have known that, they would have thrown everything down and said, Yes, Lord, I'll come. They should have known. And another one said, I've married me a wife. You know what that one's like? He said, Married me a wife and I can't come. And that was Bible too. Deuteronomy tells us after a man marries a wife, he's excused from all duties for a year. That's Bible. That's, that's what it was. So this young man, in a sense, was in the Bible. But what he couldn't realize, hallelujah, was his wife. And he was going to try to spend a year that he didn't have with. One of the greatest things in this world awaited them. You talk about harmonious matrimony. You talk about two people in love with one another. You talk about bringing forth children without any sin and degradation. Brother, we haven't seen anything yet. And this young man traded a life like that just for a few moments with his wife. Might be good if we look at it. And this servant came. This is where I wanted to get to. He said, let me be excused. In other words, he didn't say, don't write me off the list. He didn't say, just write me off. I don't want anything to do with it. He was saying, I would just like to wait until tomorrow, or the day after tomorrow, or next week, or wait till I get this problem solved, or that problem out of the way, and I'll be glad to come to your feast. And what he didn't know, and a majority of the world in this day and age that we live in don't know, is that we do not have time to turn down the invitation of a mighty God to feed our lonely souls. We simply don't recognize that fact. And I'm going to say it again. When we turn down a great feast that God has prepared for us, symbolic, leading up to the great eternal feast, it's not going to be hard for us to turn that one down too. Of course, we will have counted His feast as nothing of no value to our soul. We can miss them and it won't amount to anything. But finally, one last time, Man has used his excuses, and God has frowned upon it. 21st verse said, So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house being angry. You want to make God angry? Spit in his face. I don't mean just walk up to him naturally and spit in his face. I turn your back upon the goodies that he has prepared for you. Turn and walk away from what he has that says this will give you what you need and go out and nibble at the world. Try that. And you incur the anger and wrath of God. 
Oh, you suffer a little bit. Yes, you do. You suffer confusion. You suffer loneliness. You suffer despair. You suffer things in your family that you've never suffered before. You incur the sickness and affliction upon yourself and upon your family. You incur financial distress, and God only knows what else. Because you see, the wrath of God is kindled against us. And if it's kindled against us now, and He don't like it now, what's it going to be? Whenever an invitation for the last time is sent, and the second one comes around, and He says, now I've got everything ready. I know it's been a long time. And now it's all ready and the table spread and I want you to come. And they say, well, I want to come, really I do. I've heard that. I love the Lord with all my heart and mind and soul and body, but, amen? I, I, I really do, Lord. I, I really love you. But don't you see, these things have to be taken care of. I'll tell you what. You leave your feast until tomorrow or the next day, you see, and then I'll be there. And God knows when an individual and has become so habitual in these ways that he could leave it off a month or a year from now and it would be the same thing as it was this time. Amen. His anger is incurred. And he says these words, and this is what grabbed me and I couldn't get away from it. Then the master of the house being angry said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the words I want to focus your attention on is go out quickly. Say it. Go out quickly. You see, precious time had been lost. God's kingdom, because of individuals that he'd wearied with and tried Everything in the new house, God's kingdom had suffered loss.